DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me again. Well, it's wonderful to be with you too. I thank you for the opportunity to uh, do this series. It's been a deep blessing for me, and and I, I hope it's a blessing for the people who are listening in. Every once in a while, you share with me something that you've heard, and kind of what a blessing to know that there's so many people who are excited about Teresa of Avila. I think they are so hungry to touch that deeper prayer, and they just don't know how to get there. And sometimes when there's a light that shines, it just it brings them such consolation and such joy. So, Anthony, I just thank you so much. This is a blessing, especially what we're about to talk about today in Chapter 4 of Book 5 of this interior castle. We're going higher and higher with her, and she's going to ground us deeper and deeper into reality as we go forward. Good. Reality is a good thing to be grounded in. Amen. When we left this particular chat, when we left Chapter 3, it was kind of a cliffhanger because she kind of told us she was going to reveal some important truths to us, especially about the machinations of the enemy. But before that, she begins by talking about something that many people have heard of, I think, if you've read spiritual works of the of the mystics. It's about nuptial unions or uh, spiritual espousals. Am, am I correct on that? Yeah, it's a kind of betrothal. The spiritual life basically has three stages. And, uh, one way to look at it is when you're beginning in the spiritual life, it's like you're you're dating. It's kind of like a courtship. And in a courtship, you know, what's going on in a healthy courtship is you're asking yourself the question, you know, is this person I'm with right now going to be, be my life's companion? And with God and the soul, a similar thing goes on. God knows that he wants to be the soul's life's companion. He wants to raise that soul into eternal life. But the soul doesn't always know it, and God never forces himself. And so he lets himself be courted by the soul, and he courts the soul for sometimes many years. And the soul goes back and forth about what it really wants. But at a certain stage, God asks for the soul's hand, and an engagement takes place. And in this prayer of union that we're talking about in the fifth dwelling places, the Lord is asking for a more permanent kind of commitment from the soul. We know from St. John of the Cross that souls that will 
accept this grace, that will say yes to this grace, it floods their heart with a deep peace. There's a kind of inner certitude that develops and a profound resolve that comes. But but the, the wrestling point and where we're, she's going to situate her discussions about the attack of the evil one comes is is with everything leading up to that moment of grace. The evil one is going to do everything he can to prevent that engagement between the soul and God from taking place. And then after it takes place, the evil one is going to try to do everything he can to cause a soul to betray it. Uh, he's going to work hard beforehand because it's almost impossible for him to do afterwards. But the reason why he works so hard is because as the soul gets closer and closer to God, the soul becomes scarier and scarier to Satan. There are things that the evil one cannot control. And one of the things the evil one cannot control in this world or the next is a soul that is on fire love for God. When he can't control something, the evil one is terrorized by it. And so that's what she lays out for us in this chapter. That's incredible. Is that one of the reasons why, for example, uh, the Desert Fathers went out and they, the, those hermits that gave up, it seemed as though they renounced everything and all the temptations that were thrown at them, they were able to renounce and do battle. Not that any of us are of that magnitude as the, as the Desert Fathers, but in this world trying to renounce things and to not give in to those temptations, that's that's a mighty task, isn't it? Yeah, well, and that that's part of this of this progress. You know, every everybody would like a spiritual life that kind of gets easier and easier as you go, but that's just not the way God made the world or the soul or union with Him. In order to do something beautiful, it requires incredible effort, and and up till now in our spiritual life, uh, in the life, the uh, interior life, uh, as we've been drawing closer to God, um, uh, our our battle uh, uh, against uh, mediocrity and um, our battle for integrity, our battle to choose God and put make him the priority of our heart, we haven't fought with all the strength of our soul yet. We, we think we have. We think we've done a lot of great things, but really we've hardly done anything at all. God's done all the great work. But at this stage of the game, in order to make sure or help the soul actually realize the full freedom that it will need in order to be in this kind of engagement and this kind of permanent union with God that leads to an even better union, mystical marriage, this betrothal, uh, God allows the soul to be tested in all kinds of different ways that it was not tested before. And the testing that takes place is not because God has abandoned the soul or the soul has in any way lost its favor. It's precisely that God wants to see and wants the soul to see in itself its deepest truth. Uh, Probably a story that has to do with the Desert Fathers that you can find in the life of Antony uh, by St. Athanasius. Uh, early in the life of Antony, while Antony goes out into the desert and begins to battle against the evil one, he, he's the first ascetic that we know of who actually went into the desert to seek a life of solitude. 
And the reason why other people hadn't done that is because the wilderness, the lonely desert, was considered the place where evil spirits dwelt. You know, there weren't churches out there. And so that it was like the spiritual frontier. And St. Anthony went into the spiritual frontier to fast and pray and to call down the mercy of God. Of course, the evil one tested him in all kinds of ways with spirit of lust and and spirit of fear. He tried to frighten him and spirit of, of anger. In all the different ways the evil one tried to talk to discourage St. Um, Anthony, uh, St. Anthony was steadfast. And so then the evil one began to get uh, actually physically violent with him. The attack was absolutely horrific. And in the midst of the terrible attack, St. Anthony makes this beautiful declaration of faith and just determines with the fullness of his will that come what come may, he's not going to fall away from his love and trust in Jesus. And the evil one finally is completely discouraged and frightened and flees from Antony, and Antony is left there all alone. And then Jesus appears to him. And St. Anthony, when he sees Jesus, he says, why weren't you present during my struggle? Where were you? And Jesus said to Antony, I was with you the whole time, and I saw everything that you suffered for my sake. And I saw the immensity, the greatness of the love that you bear for me. And I come to you now to tell you that I will never depart from you again. Well, this grace that's described in the life of Antony, this new peace that Antony discovers, is very similar to the new peace that St. Teresa of Avila is talking about here in chapter 4 of the fifth spiritual dwelling places. There is a terrible battle that takes place when a soul reaches this, you feel like things are getting worse rather than getting better. And in the midst of everything falling apart around you, Jesus is even more present to you. He believes in you even more. You can have confidence in Jesus because he has even more confidence in you. And he never abandons you. It feels like it. It seems like it. But he actually even closer to you when you are in the midst of spiritual struggle. Mm. Like a good spouse. <laughs> yes. I mean, isn't that what you're describing? That's the kind of love that a spouse has for the other. And I think that's one of the reasons why Teresa Vavil uses the analogy of matrimony. She talks about the sacrament of holy matrimony here. And she talks about this grace when Jesus that has this prayer of union unfolds, this contemplative prayer that we've described. She, in her life, she calls it like a, a spark. Here in the interior castle, she'll speak about the sleep of the, of the faculties. They, they seem what burns most of all in the soul is its will. It burns with the love of God. And if you do not betray that fire of love that Jesus has ignited in you, you will get through whatever trial comes your way. Even though everything else seems not to be working, you have a thousand reasons for fears and anxieties and frustration and disappointment and concern. If you keep faithful to the love of Jesus that has been ignited in your heart, you will come through these trials. He will visit you and give you his peace in a way that the world 
no power on this world or above this world or under this world can ever take from you. How beautiful is that? I have to ask, Anthony, as I mentioned earlier, you see it so often in the writings of, of the spiritual writings of women about their experience of this espousal. What is it like for men? I can't recall it ever being described quite like this. I mean, is there meant to be at this difference? Well, there's a way in which woman as a creature has a capacity for union with God a man does not have in quite the same way. And that's part of the greatness and dignity of being a woman is in a certain way, each and every woman personifies the deepest meaning of what creation is. Men have other gifts and, and, and we know that men are called to be priests and, and that there's a kind of participation in, in Christ's priesthood that is open to to men that allows them to minister to in his name as his brothers in a very special way. And that's dignity that is theirs. Fathers of a family in some way signify the mercy of God the Father for, for their children. And that, that's another great grace. All of this being said, though, something about a woman signifies the grandeur and depth and beauty of creation all comes together in her very person. And and I think that's one of the reasons why God has made women so beautiful is that he wants everyone in the whole universe to know that the deepest truth about the universe isn't all the failures. The deepest truth about the universe is that it's fruitful to his name and that it's beautiful and that it draws, it draws him just like uh, beauty draws us. And a woman, the beauty of a woman it evokes a response, everything that is good, noble, and true in you. And this is especially true. This is especially true concerning the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Her act of faith is so beautiful. It has drawn down the word of the Father, and she is made fruitful by it. And she personifies the whole reality of what the church is. And all of us who are baptized are part of this mystery of the church that uh, and so we all participate in this beauty in different ways. But women, I think, have a vocation uh, because of their of their sexuality, because of their gender. I think they have a, a particular vocation to share in this beauty, this glory, this holiness that the church witnesses to in the world. So what men would receive, is, is it the, is it on par? Is it not necessarily less? I mean, how would you describe that? It's complementary. It's different. And so a man, when he will receive these graces, they're not totally different graces. They're just received in according to his manhood. And so they're received in a certain way. I guess you could say to some extent, a woman receives and witnesses to these this grace of holiness and union in a more radical way than a man can. But a man receives in a way that allows him to show dimensions or aspects of the mystery of God that would otherwise remain obscure to the world. So there's a beautiful complementarity. So all of this is to say, if you were to go again to the life of Antony by St. Athanasius, how does he describe the grace of of mystical marriage. You know, I I already suggested that 
that something of a spiritual betrothal happens. St. Athanasius never uses that language with Antony, but but if you look at the reality, what does betrothal produce in a soul? It's peace. Well, what about beyond betrothal, the promise of God to the soul? There's marriage, the full life of union. Does St. Antony have anything like that? Well, he never uses that language. Uh, at least Athanasius doesn't use that language, but it does exist. Something like it does exist in the life of Antony. A- Antony is, wants to have, a- after his time of trial, he wants to go deeper into the desert so that he can have more solitude, more radical solitude with the Lord, so that he can have a deeper and uninterrupted encounter with the Lord. He's yearning for it. And so he, he makes a plan to go deeper. And the Lord interrupts his plan. He says, you know, if you try to go through with the plan the way you've conceived it, you will be interrupted even more. The only way for you to receive what you want is that you need to let me guide you and take you to the place that I have prepared for you. And that place uh, God leads him to is called the inner mountain. The inner mountain or the hidden mountain, God knows exactly where it is and God knows exactly how to get Antony there. And what Antony needs to do to get there is to trust him. One of the reasons why souls that are betrothed to the Lord are tested and tempted in different ways is because the Lord uses all those temptations to help the soul trust him more radically and what, so that he can lead that soul from where he is familiar to a place that he is not familiar, to things that are comfortable and well-known to him, to a place where nothing seems to be comfortable and nothing is known to him. Because to have total union with God a union with God in which your will is completely united with his will and he can be completely fruitful in your life. This is nothing we're familiar with. Nothing in this world can adequately point to that except for what God has revealed. So we need to trust God in a more radical way. And he he takes us to this place. And it says that Antony went there, went to this place and found it. And it was his heart's delight. He found profound joy. And we're going to see as we progress through the interior castle that this journey to a profound joy is what awaits those who go from this stage of spiritual betrothal into the mystical marriage or, or transforming union that Teresa sees as the height or the maturity of the spiritual life. Uh, what we would call a soul that finds this peace or is about to find this peace, we'd call such a soul proficient. They are accustomed to the new ways God works and God is going to, and because they're accustomed to the new ways God works, he can lead them to even more profound and astonishing kinds of union with him, a greater fruitfulness, a greater joy. And so those who enter into the greater fruitfulness or joy or that mystical marriage that she talks about at the end of this those who go there, what characterizes their life is a kind of jubilation, a, a joy that is so strong they can't keep it hidden anymore. It, it needs to be shown to the whole world. They want the whole world to know the joy that is in the heart of God. But that, that waits for a future lecture. Right now, we're at the threshold of this when we're speaking about this 
peace that comes to the proficient when they learn to say yes to the betrothal of the Lord. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. 
please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. But before we can get to paragraph five, we can't skip over four where she gives a great cloud of witnesses here to uh, just what you spoke of, the, the mention of some very important saints in her life. Yes, she talks about St. Ursula and Dominic and Francis and the founders of other orders, including St. Ignatius. She says all of these have known this betrothal. What did they do but endeavor that this divine betrothal should not be frustrated through their, their fault? Oh, my daughters, how ready this Lord is to grant us favors just as, as he has then. In some ways, it is even more necessary that we should wish to receive them. For there are fewer than there used to be who think of the Lord's honor. We are so very fond of ourselves and so very careful not to lose any of our rights. Whoa, what a great mistake we make. May the Lord in his mercy give us light lest we fall into such darkness. Now, I wanted to say a word here, and this is worth just spending a moment to reflect on, and that is in our own time, there have been a lot of different religious communities that have started new religious communities and movements and things that have started. I've been involved in a couple different things, and, and I praise God for the new movements and founders and religious orders of our, of our time. But one of the very sad things that has happened that has discouraged a lot of people is that the founders of these religious communities and new movements and organizations, oftentimes we discover years later that they were living duplicitous lives, that they were involved in grave scandal, and that they fell from grace. On one hand, for anyone who is listening right now who's been scandalized because of a founder who's fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus did not want you to be scandalized, and his heart aches with you. And in some way, the scandal that you have suffered, the hurt, the sense of betrayal that you have suffered, is what God has suffered, and you are participating in a mystery deep in the heart of God. And it's important to learn to surrender that more radically to the Lord, because he can do something very beautiful with it if you let him. He is waiting for you there, and he has not abandoned you. That being said, this paragraph that we've just looked at also helps us see why somebody who's founding a religious community uh, and otherwise does really, really great and important work with the poor or the disabled or some, some other group, they do something so beautiful, and you want so much to be able to believe in them, and then they, they fall. Why is that? And it's in this paragraph. The Lord was inviting them to a deeper union, just like he invited Francis and Dominic and Ignatius and St. Ursula he and St. Teresa of Avila. He invited them, but for them to be able to be fruitful, they had to undergo a profound suffering and terrible tests. In the midst of a terrible test, it is often quite easy to turn to creatures rather than rely on the Lord, to abuse power and privilege rather than to humble oneself 
and let oneself be powerless in different situations. This mystery of choosing the humble way of inadequacy and weakness and void and letting yourself rest there until the Lord reveals his power is one of the most difficult things in the spiritual life. Souls who are being called to betrothal are brought to this very same place, and it is a hard place to be. So if somebody fails, they need our prayers, they need our fasting and our penance. And at the same time, although we may be very hurt and feel very extremely betrayed, they do not need our judgment. They need God's mercy. I think it's just important to say these trials that souls who are, who are being invited to, um, to come here, they are severe because the stakes are high and the evil one attacks them more than he attacks other. He knows that if he can pull one of these souls down, it will hurt a whole bunch of other people. And so he, he works overtime because he doesn't want what's good, holy, and true to win. He wants to diminish it in every way he can. And he already knows in some way that the victory has been won, but anything he can do to hide, diminish, uh, or, or frustrate the glory of God, he's, he's scrambling to do it. And so he, he desperately reaches out to these souls and tries to pull them down. And, and maybe you and I, maybe we are some of the souls he's going to try to pull down too. And the pathway to this spiritual betrothal is humility, 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 the way on which we learn to rely completely on the Lord and we be steadfast in our service to him. That alone, our trust in him alone, will get us through these trials. Well, she would go on to number five, paragraph five, and actually bring up some of the questions. It's, are those questions she probably asked herself <laughs> at certain points in her life? Yeah, no, I, I think what you have here is in her own examination of conscience. If a soul is so completely at one with God's will, how can it be deceived since it never desires to follow its own will? By what avenues can the devil enter and lead you into such peril that your soul may be lost when you are so completely withdrawn from the world and so often approach the sacraments. So you're dealing with souls right now that are devout, that are filled with zeal for the Lord and go to the sacraments. They're doing everything right. What she's saying is Judas enjoyed the companionship of the apostles, had continual intercourse with God himself and could listen to his own words, I realize even this does not guarantee our safety. And so I say this, I have very, very dear friends who were far more advanced than me in the spiritual life and came up against walls. They betrayed everything that was most dear to their hearts. We can't presume that we won't be tested in the same way. And that's why I, I say that we need to come to a deeper trust in the Lord. Believe it or not, it's by learning to surrender in these trials that that trust is born in us. Anthony, what would you say to that person who hears in the sixth paragraph how it 
Little by little, the reason is obscured and the will is weakened, while the devil fosters his victim's self-love. She goes on, but essentially, it's little by little. It's not always necessarily in a big fall. It's in the little things. Is there hope for somebody who is out there and has read this or has seen this? And is it too late for me? Is it too late? Well, it's never too late. And there's always hope. Even if you've fallen, there's always hope. The evil one would have you believe otherwise, that there's no way to repair what you've done. That is, it's absolutely impossible. And that's just not that that's simply not the case. Uh, it, there's always hope, always. And the answer to what the evil one does is going to be in the next paragraph. We'll get there in just a moment. But um, here in this one, this little by little, uh, for those of you who know St. Ignatius's writings, and you know that there's two two sets of rules of discernment. The second set talks about the way the the evil one behaves with souls that are mature and he behaves differently. And, and what he does, he doesn't tempt you with evil. He tempts you with good things. He makes a good thing appear like it's God's will. But the thing about this stage of the spiritual life, there are many, many good things people can do. The question is, what is God's will for me right now? And oftentimes God's will the only way you find it is to humble yourself and to trust him more deeply. We want to do it all. We want to prove, we want to, uh, and the evil one knows that. He knows that you want to do beautiful things for God, but he also knows that you can be self, self-deceived self into thinking that you can serve the Lord by your own strength and on your own terms and in your own way. And he's not going to start out with all of that, but he's going to kind of wean you there. He's going to assuage your pride, make you feel uh, like this is the better way to go. And and one of the spiritual ways in particular he uses, this is beyond the text, but but I, I think this gets people who the Lord is calling into maturity is the evil one will even use the praise of your friends and people close to you to make you feel like a course of action is the best one to do. He uh, And so you think, oh, look, everybody's looking at me and saying all these wonderful things about me. And so this must be God's will, because of course, God wants me to hear all this good stuff. You know, well, that's a, that's a trick. That's a trick. The evil one loves to use our vanity to deceive us. And he doesn't do it all the way and up front. He does it very subtly. At the same time this is going on, it's important to know Jesus has not abandoned you. And even while you're being tested and you get to see your vanity for what it is and your pride for what it is and your weakness for what it is, even in the midst of all that, while the evil, evil one's working, Jesus is working too. And he sends you thousands and thousands of messages warning you, inviting you back, helping you to see the truth. So do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged when you're in the middle of battle. God is doing some great thing. Now you said that she would go on to describe a bit more about what the tactics of the enemy are. Yes. What she says after this is that 
she gives you counsel on what to do. You must continually ask God in our prayers to keep us in his hand and bear constantly in mind that if he leaves us, we shall once uh, once be down in the depths, as indeed we shall. So what's sustaining us in the midst of our trials is God's presence. So the evil one, you can tell that he's trying to deceive you because you feel pulled further and further away from the Lord. And when you see that happen, act against it. And you act against it by continually asking God to keep us in his hand. We must walk with special care and attention and watch what progress we make in the virtues and discover if in any way we are either improving or going back. So one of the other ways you can tell that you're in the midst of a spiritual attack is if you're not improving, if, you're, if your spiritual life is kind of stagnant or you're backsliding a little bit, then that's a time to be very concerned and to fall back on your knees in prayer and humble yourself and go back to confession because the evil one is beginning to pull you away. The Lord wants us to make progress and the way we make progress, the way we know we're making progress, it's not by virtue of what we feel or how we understand or the influence we have over others or what they think of us. The way we know whether or not we're making progress is, am I being virtuous? If I'm losing my temper and shouting at people or, or, or if I'm judging them in my heart, if I'm, you know, calculating how to manipulate them and all of those things are going on. Well, there's something not simple in me. The pathway to the Lord is a very simple movement of heart to him, to his presence, a surrender. And yes, in the eyes of the world, you look foolish. And yes, in the eyes of the world, you don't look like you have it together and that you're not being prudent, da-da-da-da-da-da, all that stuff. Yeah, that's all true. But what the world doesn't know is friendship with God. And that you have and that nothing can take from you as long as you're attentive to what's going on. So look at your actions. And if you can't see your actions or you're patting yourself on the back and you think everything's going good, then go to a good friend and ask them to tell you what's going on. And if you have a really good friend, they'll tell you the truth about what's going on. But one way or another, uh, the Lord will use someone. If he won't convict you in your own conscience alone in prayer, he'll use a a brother or a sister or a spouse, a friend, to say something that helps you realize, you know what, I uh, I need to turn to the Lord and beg for his help again. But the Lord never wants us to have that feeling that we think we have arrived and that we're already there and that, and that you know, we're good to go. That thought is totally from the evil one. I am a miserable sinner. And I have no idea why God has loved me so much that he has given his only son. I have no idea why God in his great mercy and in the abundance of his kindness has chosen me to be a husband and father of my family, but he did. I have no idea why he's allowed me to help build up people's faith in the life of the church, but he has. I have no idea why he's given me so many good friends for me to encourage on their way. He did that too. And I am completely reliant on him. Any other thing that goes through my head is just a lie. 
I need Jesus. I need a Savior. Because uh, like everybody else on this mortal coil, there's a lot of brokenness here, and only he can save me. I think a soul that will allow Jesus to teach them the truth of that, the truth of what St. Catherine says when, when God the Father says to her, I am the one who is, and you are the one who is not. Hear that truth. Let it permeate deep into your heart. And the pathway that Teresa of Avila is laying out here, this pathway of calling out to Jesus and begging him to keep us in his hand, that pathway will open up for you. So beautiful, Anthony. As we're coming towards the actual conclusion of Fifth Mansion, any final thoughts? Well, we've obviously are talking about a stage of the spiritual life a lot of people will listen to and wonder whether or not, you know, they've tasted anything like this or they've known these kind of trials and, and or blessings. I have friends who, when I talk about the presence of God and the way Jesus comes to help us, they'll say, but I've never experienced that. I would just say, what these graces that we're describing, these are graces that are related to us, open to us by means of of baptism. These are not extraordinary graces. So if you feel a stirring in your heart, like, boy, I would love to know the peace that comes from this kind of spiritual betrothal, this peace that Anthony of the desert found when he made it through the trials and Jesus came to him in that very special way. If your heart longs for peace, it's not only okay, but it's really good to ask for it. Do not be afraid of the trials that this peace requires because the peace he gives us is a peace that the world cannot give us. It's a peace that nothing in the world can take away. And it's a peace that our brothers and sisters in this life need. They need to see and touch and hear and be near. And if you have any desire for this, the peace that this kind of prayer, this prayer of union can provide, then ask for this gift, this fruit. Ask for it and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find it. The Lord wants to give you these gifts, not only for yourself, but for everyone he's entrusted to you. Thank you, Anthony. God bless you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.